Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Andrew Davidson, SVP and Chief Insights Officer for Mintel Compare Media based in New York. And in today's episode, we will be discussing travel and travel loyalty programs in both the US and Canada. Now, loyalty programs have become a massive revenue stream for airlines and hotels, but the travel industry and, and tourism has, you know, has been decimated by COVID-19. In today's episode, we will be discussing what comes next for these types of programs. As always, we'll be looking at uh, things through the lens of consumers. So joining me to discuss this, I have uh, Nicole Benzi and Mike Gallinari in Chicago and Carol Wong Lee in Toronto. Welcome to the pod. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me. Hi. Um, okay, so let's do quick intros. Just give us a bit of background. Tell us, uh, you know, how long have you been? You know, tell us about your role and how long you've been at Mintel. Sure. So I'm Nicole Benzie, and I have been at Mintel about a year and a half. I'm the director of competitive intelligence on the Compare Media side. So working across financial products primarily, but um, Compare Media obviously covers more than just that. So looking at that omni-channel insights and uh, data. Great. I'm Carol Wong Lee. I'm the Associate Director of Lifestyles and Leisure in um, Intel Canada, based out of Toronto. As Andrew said, I am responsible for writing the Lifestyles and Leisure reports, but also the Canadian retail reports. And more recently, I've actually been uh, heading up the Canadian portion of our COVID tracker that we run globally, that we've been running since the beginning of 2020. It's been so interesting to see how consumer mindsets have been shifting, as well as how businesses have been adapting. So I think today conversation is going to be a really interesting discussion. Excellent. And I'm Mike Gallinari. I've been a travel and leisure analyst at Mintel for about three years, uh, and I have the uh, suddenly daunting task of writing all the travel reports in the U.S. for, for Mintel. Yes. Um, but we've been getting on. The man of the moment. All right. So, we, so, I mean, we can't discuss travel loyalty without discussing the state of travel. So, you know, I think the word, you know, I mentioned in, in, in the intro there, the word that's used most often to describe the industry has, has been decimated. You know, back in April, the CEO of Delta said it would like to take two to three years for the travel uh, industry to recover. Uh, so, Mike, and I, you know, I sort of want to turn to you first. So, you know, summer 2020, uh, you know, vacation season is now over. But what, you know, what is the state of the travel industry right now? So, I mean, the the current state is not great, uh, of course, uh, with the outbreak of the pandemic and everything shutting down, people staying home, and uh, probably more importantly, businesses uh, canceling uh, conference attendance and business travel. The industry was hit very hard along pretty much all sectors, so airlines, uh, hotels, other lodging, activities, cruises, you name it. It was all pretty much ground down to a halt uh, around March and April. And with the ensuing recession, uh, it hit the travel industry particularly hard there as well, as um, I think it's been estimated about half of all travel jobs uh, were lost uh, in that in that period. So we're coming now in this uh, as the uh, the harshest shelter in place issues uh, orders have been 
rescinded and people are sort of allowed to move uh, on their own cognizance, uh, we have seen a recovery in a lot of uh, industries, but you have to keep in mind that that's relative to where they were. Um, so airline capacity is still way down. Um, cruises are still in a halt. Um, their activity is mostly in booking for next year. Uh, the brightest spots that we've seen are in road trips where people can sort of control their own exposure to other people uh, and uh, as well as the vacation rental market. Um, but we have seen a little bit of recovery in uh, hotels in general. So people are sort of trusting hotels a little bit more than I think a lot of analysts th would have thought at the onset of the recession and the pandemic in the spring. Um, and this has been bolstered sort of at the uh, at the uh, income sheet line by recovery in China. So for large international brands like Marriott, um, the recovery has already started in China and in parts of Europe. So that's been bolstering the top brand level uh, revenues, uh, even as the U.S. has been lagging. Mm, so that's interesting. I mean, and we and we're you know we're, we're obviously many months now into this crisis, and at first it was like, oh, this is just going to be something that's very you know, short-lived, but obviously that's certainly not the case. There was a, a recent study from American Express that actually sort of spoke about how consumers are yearning for travel. But, you know, now how's that playing out in reality? You know, are, how are consumers feeling about getting on a plane or visiting hotels, for example? Well, I think it's absolutely true that people are yearning for travel. And I think to a degree, some of the rising cases we've seen over the summer is a testament to that. Uh, I think that people definitely want to travel, but it's been difficult to rectify that desire for travel with being able to do so safely. Um, what we've found, and we actually have a, a report on the impact of COVID-19 on travel in general, that the uh, most people uh, are looking to have a vaccine that's widely available before they engage in a lot of specific travel activities, such as flying on a plane, uh, going to a hotel, uh, taking a group tour. Cruises were the, have been the hardest hit in this regard as well. Um, they have the highest incidents of people saying that they'll never take a cruise again. They just don't trust it. Um, and I think part of that is due to the fact that the onset of the pandemic was uh, happened on a cruise ship on the Diamond Princess. So that's uh, a lot that these industry players all have to contend with. And in the meantime, they have to get, they have to find some way to bring in revenue before a vaccine is available. Um, so we're seeing a lot of younger people are more eager to engage in some of these, um, in some of these travel behaviors, uh, like getting on a plane, like staying in a hotel, like staying in a home share. But they always have to contend with the fact that um, road trips are very, they're very easy to do. Um, so, you know, the airline industry in particular has to contend with the fact that people can just drive. Um, so that's always going to be an issue. And then, of course, once we have a vaccine, we're going to have to deal with any sort of recessionary issues that might still be lingering. Sure. Carol, how are Canadians feeling? So it's actually interesting because where Canadians and Americans are fairly similar in terms of their comfort levels and doing indoor activities like going shopping at malls and stuff, we are seeing a, quite a difference between Canadians' level of comfort in going, taking trips 
So specifically flying, for example, we do see that about a quarter of Americans are comfortable with uh, taking a flight, but that only that drops to 14% of Canadians. Um, similarly with hotels, it's a little bit more uh, optimistic, I guess, if you will. So where about a third of Americans are comfortable with staying in a hotel right now, that drops down to only about a quarter of Canadians. So it is a slightly different picture. Which I find fascinating. I mean, you know, it's obviously um, the, with cases so low compared to the US in, in Canada, but and yet and yet there's a more of a reticence to, uh, to travel there. What, what do you think the playing out there. I, I, I do think that um, news of our American neighbors, <laughs> the case numbers, is definitely an influencing factor. And no, the reason sure. why I say that is because we are seeing a lot of, like, we, we are hearing about, like, cottages, just to Mike's point, that cottages and, and um, you know, businesses near lakes and things are being, you know, like Airbnbs and stuff are being booked up quite rapidly and it's hard to actually get a booking right now. So I think people are, it's really about what is it, what what they can do what they're comfortable you know managing their own exposure than it is taking international trips or yeah right now so and could you what were those figures for hotels again what were the number you said yeah so for hotels it's 32 percent in the u.s of, of people who are comfortable and in canada it's 27 percent in canada it's 27 yeah. okay yeah. so it's still the majority who say that they're not 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 comfortable absolutely which is, yeah. uh, which is interesting I, I i personally went on a trip in state road trip so what you were saying mike but i stayed in a hotel so i was kind of fascinated to see our own statistics there because like i didn't realize that i was uh, you know in the minority who said they'd be willing to or feel comfortable staying in a in a hotel which you and it was it was it was fine how have you how have you how are you all feeling about it all have you any uh have you been on on planes have you been in hotels no <laughs> there's a lot of shaking of heads no yeah road yeah. trips we actually did take a flight. We, in June, we flew down to Florida. So this was right in the middle before Florida really peaked. And so um, the process, though, of booking the flight and traveling was a lot different because it was so much more focused on which airline is being safest. How are they, you know, ensuring that the travelers have the distance during the onboarding and mm. even while you're on the plane. The things we needed to buy to travel, the masks, the gloves, putting all the computers and the iPads and the kids' gaming systems inside a plastic bag so that when you take it out and put it in the tray, it's getting less touch points. So it was it was much more, ang- I mean, if you're an anxious traveler in general, then this kind of travel is even more um, overwhelming. So after it, though, I... I felt okay knowing that we took every precaution we could. We flew through smaller airports, so there were less people around. Um, so yeah, it 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 was it was okay. It was very stressful in you know the getting and the coming back. Um, but I don't know if I'm eager to do that process again. Right. Okay. That's interesting. And, and those numbers, Carol, that you mentioned, obviously airlines, hotels. You know, it's it's important that they're aware of that sort of reticence you know, and, and the and what they need to do to sort of to to help people navigate that. Um, so, okay, let's turn to to loyalty programs though, because that's what I really wanted to get into today. Um, so obviously uh, many consumers participate in travel and hotel loyalty programs in both the US and in Canada. Um, but have we seen travel loyalty programs navigating the pandemic? Yeah, so uh, we published a report uh, in June uh, about this topic in, uh, in particular. So when 
travel essentially halted. Um, you know, the, you've got well, you've got two mechanisms, right? You've got accrual and redemption. So when travel halted in in the spring, that put the kibosh on redemption, and a lot of the brand travel loyalty programs, so Marriott Bonvoy, um, United and Delta's frequent flyer programs, all of those programs, which are tend to be held by business travelers and uh, older and wealthier uh, consumers, they they saw a big a big drop. And the issue with that is that it's hard to accrue with those because the brand level uh, FTPs, frequent travel programs, they rely a lot on taking flights or staying in a hotel to actually mm. get status and get rewards points. What we did see though, is that uh, travel programs that are run through credit cards, either partnered credit cards or um, credit card companies that have travel focused cards. So like Chase Sapphire is, is probably the prime example of that. Um, they were able to uh, improve some mechanisms for accrual. So Chase, for instance, in June, they expanded their uh, their bonus point offerings to grocery stores uh, and as well as I think DoorDash specifically, um, if, if I remember correctly. So you would get a bonus on spending uh, in those areas where people were already spending um, as opposed to just getting bonus points on the existing travel and uh, restaurant dining, uh, which is which were the, the categories there. So they were able to shift to the priorities of the uh, consumer as it stood a lot easier than the brand loyalty programs were. I think that's I think that's a really interesting space too. Just the if you think about the credit cards, the airline credit cards, or the credit cards like you were speaking about, Mike, that do have travel really as their core value prop. We saw a lot of them pivoting because they understood that people weren't traveling, and so to you know earn those miles, it wasn't going to happen. And so Chase Sapphire is a great example of that. That five times earn on grocery. Hilton Honors had a couple of really interesting marketing pieces where it was five times on supermarkets um, delivery takeout and then this um, interesting message about today's takeout is tomorrow's travels so they were really acknowledging that consumer pain point and that consumer issue um, and then even things like American Airlines their Advantage MasterCard the message was stock up on miles now escape later so they really are being empathetic they're really sort of acknowledging what's happening and then the things that they're encouraging people to stock up on are things like wine and delivery and electronics so really you know understanding people are at home they're stressed they're watching TV and they're looking for ways to um, escape so some really smart pivots within the credit card space one example i wanted to actually to, to, to bring up and actually i feel like it builds really well off of what you had mentioned nicole in terms of really listening and same with you mike really you know really listening to what consumers want right now but also understanding that you know you might not be able to burn your points as easily because you're not interested in travel is actually from westjet where they um Created pro well, they changed the program such that uh, consumers could donate some of their points to Food Banks Canada, which I thought was really interesting. And I feel like that really speaks to the environment right now because, I mean, the real mantra of the COVID nineteen pandemic so far has been that we're in it together. And so we mm. we do see the data reflects the fact that consumers today really are interested in supporting their community more. But because times are tight, people are losing their jobs, as we know. You know, maybe making donations is 
chal- is, is a challenging thing to do right now. So I thought that was a really great way for, um, again, tapping into just understanding that consumers really do want to support the community and um, just having this as an option, is, I, I thought was really smart for Pivot as well. Yeah, 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 and I, I, it's interesting. I'm glad. I'm glad, uh, uh, Nicole, you mentioned Hilton because I was. It was, it was obviously we saw marketing very much kind of dry up from uh, across the board, but obviously noticing now recently, American Express in the US have now been sort of out you know actually started to I wouldn't say ramp up that's probably the wrong word but certainly increase their marketing activity from an acquisition perspective promoting that Hilton um, honors card with this sort of message of you know make the most of future travel you know so it's the there was the yes the initial pivot and now we're coming and thinking about how do we encourage you consumers and still present a value proposition still present something that has meaning is, is all about well let's think about future travel um, and I guess kind of going back to that that whole idea of, of, of consumers yearning for, for travel at some point in the future. Um, and, and you mentioned WestJet there, Carol. I mean, obviously the loyalty landscape in, in Canada is very different. You have these huge, you know, coalition programs that so many people are members of, Air Miles, Aeroplan, that work across dozens of coalition partners. And, and you know, obviously um, some, some in the U.S. might not understand that sort of key, that key difference where we tend to have um, more sort of our loyalty programs here in the U.S. are much more sort of around specifically around the airline themselves. Um, but one of those programs, Aeroplan, has taken this moment in time, so this, you know, crisis really to undergo a complete overhaul of its program and has made some major announcements starting November 10th. They're going to be uh, changing the program completely. Um, this has significant impact because, of course, it not only has um, impacts the loyalty program, impacts multiple credit cards, three credit card issuers, um, something like 10 cards are connected with the Aeroplan uh, points program. I'm not going to break down all the changes. There are a couple that stand out. Um, the ability for families to pool their points. That's something I know that you know, I, could certainly, we could, I could certainly benefit from that. Uh, the ability to earn status without speed. Uh, without um, travel so by spending only on some of these things that you've all been talking about like uh, everyday spend whereas you know in the US it's always this combination of both spend and travel on most of the programs that exist so Carol I know you're an Aeroplan member just wanted to uh, get that you know sample of one what's what sort of stood out for you have you had, have you had any communication yet from Aeroplan I have actually they've been really good about it and I I am um I do hold one of the credit cards that partners with Aeroplant um, just to get those extra points. So they've been actually really great about uh, just sending emails and, and, you know, having easy, easy to understand communications. And I have to say, as an Aeroplant member, I am very pleased with the changes that are oh. upcoming because I, I really do feel that they've, they've, they've really shown that they've understood, they, they've listened and, and um, the changes that they made are uh, really doing a good job of addressing the pain points that uh, myself at least have, yeah. has experienced but I think I mean it really is key is right now allowing the flexibility to both earn and burn points because, you know until people are ready to travel and I and um, for me one of the standouts was being able to share the uh, travel perks with my family mm. and friends when when we are ready to travel I think that's uh, a, a real positive but yeah but you can see that flexibility is just built into 
all of the changes that they've made, not only in earning and burning, but also like when it comes to burning, when we're ready to fly, the ability that we're, you know, just understanding that people aren't really wanting to make uh, stopovers anymore. So the ability to, you know, redeem flights for, uh, you know, direct flights, but also to, to have the cash option because that wasn't an option as far as I knew before to be hmm. able to use some points and then to um, mix that in with paying with with cash option wasn't yeah. a, so wasn't partially paying part. with points and partially paying with cash yeah 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 yep. just again just making redemption all the more flexible is so key yeah I it's a, you know it's going to be interesting to see how the marketing plays out as well because I saw I noticed that you know, obviously you have these 10 credit cards these three credit card issuers also now changing their programs and um but they can't actually sort of do that till november the 8th the so i but it was i was interested to see that um american express canada sort of already sort of getting some some you know posting on social channels but uh when you dig into it they were one of the things that they've done which is pretty smart is to uh establish a wait list where they'll they'll give you ten thousand points if you sign up on the wait list you know and then on november the 8th you know they'll be announcing whatever sign-on bonus uh will come with spend at the time so it's an interesting uh approach i mean something we've been talking about these sort of pre-launch kind of campaigns with wait lists and the use of wait lists kind of a a fintech approach um, that we've seen within in financial services and sort of obviously using that here as well. Um, so, you know, you know, obviously, like you mentioned there, Carol, obviously Aeroplan did spend a lot of time, I, they, from what I've read about the changes, they did spend a lot of time really trying to understand their, their members. Um, so, which is interesting. I mean, you know, does, it, what is every, does everyone think here, I mean, could you see other programs undergoing similar overhauls um, it's quite a bold time to make a massive change like that. You know, but what are, you know, could, could you see that? And what other sort of innovation have we been seeing? So I think that uh, from, from doing the, the report that we just re- that released uh, in the summer, that the biggest space for, uh, for innovation uh, among frequent travel programs is an accrual. Um, we found that in general, people kind of want the same thing. They, they want to travel for free, and if they can't travel for free, they want to travel for less money. So th- there's, a less, there's less of a focus, um, like experiences or kind of those side benefits, um, being able to make partner retailers, those kinds of things. Um, so, and I think that the movement that Chase did that we uh, spoke of earlier about expanding their bonus points to grocery store purchases, I think that that's going to start kind of kicking off this um, new ways of thinking about uh, how we can get people to accrue without necessarily having to travel. And I think we're going to see a lot more effort uh, on the part of travel brands to develop partnerships with brands, be they with fintech companies or with retailers or other service providers in order to sort of find new ways for consumers to be able to uh, accrue loyalty and then redeem with the providers. Yeah. And I really liked what you just said about the partnerships, because something that I've been thinking about is the other aspects of being part of these loyalty programs. And so I think something really interesting about your report, Mike, is this idea that that frequent traveler also wants to feel special. And so there's all these experiences that come with these membership programs that drive that consumer interest, that drive their adoption to want to be part of those programs. So then it really got me thinking about that part of these programs 
programs is how are they going to be like reimagined or how are they going to be shifted given COVID or even going forward? And so I think, you know, in order for some of these programs to maintain that special feeling for the consumer or that sort of exclusivity, I'd, I'd imagine that the experiential side of things, we're going to see some innovations and it could be through some of those partnerships. Mm. And I think that the key that it will focus around is this feeling of special and feeling of exclusivity, um, because it's not going to be enough um, like previous stores to, or sorry, previous offers to say, uh, oh, you know, with your loyalty programs, you can buy um, VIP tickets to a concert. You're still at a concert. You're still with a ton of people. And that's still going to be a concern into the future. So I think that we're going to see more exclusivity as in, private tours of areas or private access where the amount of people that you're actually with and interacting with are much less. And that's the angle of premiumization that we're going to see. You don't think the experience aspect is going away then, Mike? I don't think it is because it's also, it's like a value add. It's, it's, you know, Marriott can offer an experience without necessarily having to give up the uh, rev bar, right? So, um, and, you know, experience is always a sort of, um, you know, it's, it's been a, a trendy word in, in the travel industry for a while. And I think it'll always be part of the appeal of travel. I think that the scope of it is going to going to change as, as well. Um, and I think that uh, FTPs and brands that can position themselves not only as these sort of um, access merchants to these experiences, but also curators of the experiences and knowing what the most authentic experiences are, what offers the best um, feeling of getaway that travelers are sort of overwhelmingly looking for. So, and so you, you think, I guess, and that's what we've really seen, right? So whereas most of the innovation is how you earn these types of rewards. I mean, we, you mentioned like food delivery, groceries, yeah, any other, have you seen anything else that sort of stands out um, in terms of innovation in that space, in terms of earn? Sure. So um, there's a good example um, that uh, American Airlines, uh, they partnered with um, Texas Capital Bank to create an entity called Basque Bank. And one of uh, the the big uh, sort of value proposition of this is that instead of your bank account accruing interest um, at, no, what, less than a percent, um, you're actually going to... uh, um, accrue American Airlines miles. So this is, you know, a good opportunity for people who don't really value um, just building interest on their checking account or, or, uh, because it's so kind of incidental, but it is a way to actually get something, you know, more, a more tangible goal. And I think that this will definitely have appeal, um, especially more toward Gen Z. Um, As we've seen, Gen Z has, less, uh, they have less loyalty to financial services uh, and financial service providers than uh, older consumers do. And they're especially more reticent to uh, partner up with credit cards. So while credit cards are very good right now in this moment, um, and they do theoretically have an appeal because older consumers tend to be allied on the brand level with travel FTPs. the the fact that this stigma of debt and spending exists so much among Gen Z um, makes these sort of financial products where you don't have to spend, you just membership 
provides mm-hmm. the travel bonuses. So I think that we'll start seeing more action in that regard to as far as partnering so that people can start accruing without necessarily having to spend. Sure. And I, I, the, the Bass Bank example I do find particularly interesting. I mean, I know that they, we've been sort of tracking them at Compare Media, you know, and I know they it was launched before um, the, the crisis, but of course it almost seems like the ideal product with, like you say, with savings rates so low um, and providing just another opportunity to um, accrue points. But you know, I think, you know, I, I'm kind of intrigued because the aeroplane changes are so, such a major overhaul. And I think if you think about it from a Canadian perspective, of course, it means it has a knock-on impact on the whole industry, whether it's uh, travel cards or cashback cards or whatever it might be, or however you're, however you're collecting points or loyalty, uh, whatever mem- programs you're participating in. And then from a US or even a global perspective, kind of looking at that and then thinking, should we, should I, you know, should we, if you're a loyalty program manager, you know, you know, looking at a major program like that changing and then thinking to yourself, like how, you know, what, what changes should I be embracing myself as we go through this, you know, this massive you know, shifts in society? It I mean, it raises a question for me, you know, are, you know, we've talked about, everybody being very reticent to travel you know all these programs are they are they still relevant i mean uh, how do they need to evolve you know we talk about at mintel we talk about the next normal and about how we're continuing to see these shifts in in society you know what do you what do you all think um these programs need to do to stay relevant for consumers in the next normal well i mean in general uh, to, to the broader question, the programs will be relevant as long as travel is relevant. And I think travel is relevant as long as there's uh, society. <laughs> People will want to go and they'll want to explore. Uh, and then there's the commercial aspect of travel. I mean, business requires travel. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, we, we do have to seriously think about the rise of remote working uh, and the prospect of how are we going to handle pandemics in the future. Um, but I, there is still a, a human component that is very necessary for travel. So I don't think that, you know, virtual conferences will be 95% of conferences in the future. And I don't think that people will stop visiting offices uh, across the country um, in favor of, of um you know, what we're doing now, this is the, the Zoom meetings. But I do, th- you know, I, I do think that um, because of that, travel is a future and people are always going to want to try to travel uh, for cheaper. And I think there's always going to be um, vacuums in the market. So, you know, if we, if we lose some carriers, for instance, <clears throat> as a result of the recession, that's going to open up a, a, a hole for, for a new one to step in. If we say, um, Spirit, let's just to pick one, um, uh, an ultra low cost carrier, if they go out of business, another one is going to step up because price is so central to the purchase decision of people who fly. And FTPs are going to be a way to leverage um, your own brand against the low prices of an of, of uh, ultra low cost carrier if you're a legacy airline or if you're southwest so you think uh you know people are taking the road trips now they'll be getting back in on the planes in the future i do i mean where i wonder is whether we'll just see new segments new types of segments uh within the travel space opening up that you know these loyalty programs need to be very sort of fo- focused on like how is it going to shift and change maybe yeah people are going to get back on 
some segments going to be first back on the planes another will be a little bit more uh, hesitant you know so how does you know thinking about how that might play out in the future and how that sort of ties into uh, these loyalty programs well something i think was interesting about what you said carol earlier is that this idea of that everyone is or that all the brands are going to be here for you when you're ready to travel so that thought is okay well when are consumers actually going to be ready to travel and so i think with some of these programs if at the core the earn is based on frequency that will have to shift if it's a high frequency you know program, then how will that adapt and how will that pivot? And so it, it made me think of the Starbucks example where they used to have a flat earn where you just earned, I think, a couple stars per purchase, no matter if you bought a $2 cup of coffee or you bought the $7 latte. A few years ago, they changed it where you earned stars based on money spent. So people were upset because they're saying, okay, if I'm only spending $2 on my cup of coffee, I'm not earning as much. The people that were buying the $7 lattes were super excited because they are going to earn more. But what was really great about what Starbucks did is that they changed the redemption tiers. And so they actually lowered the threshold for people to be able to redeem. And so now I believe it's like 25 stars, you can get a flavor shot. You can get a tea for 50 stars. We're before it used to be a flat 150 just to get any drink and so they made a reward program that encompassed really all customers not just the high frequency customers yeah and i think going off of that point um we're going to start seeing that more uh more among the airline industry as you know people are going to slowly come back and fly they're still going to need to explore new revenue streams so you know i I think that um, in a lot of cases, that might mean access to the lounge, uh, which you can pay a premium to, uh, even if you're not a member, to access the, the, the carrier's lounge. Um, but what we do see is that existing members, they do have a little bit of resentment when they find that they're, the, the things that they've worked for, even at the lower tiers, are being given a la carte to non-members. So I think what we might see in the future is a sort of separating in, in the, um, I'm going to say quality, but, but the, the, <clears throat> what you get at the lowest tier and what you get at middle and higher tiers. So I think that, that they're really, the, the providers are really going to start honing in on the, on the really frequent travelers and the mid to high frequent travelers to try to spur them to get a little bit higher into that next tier while still attracting some more infrequent travelers uh, to, uh, you know, to say, oh, well, I get these benefits as a member, I might as well travel with them instead of going to, instead of searching by price. That actually reminds me a little bit about, you know, like the beauty industry and the the tiered programs, for example, that we see for like Sephora, how they've done a really good job of um, bringing in, you know, new recruits, if you will, but then also ensuring that their value adds for the their best customers is really, you know, more exclusive experiences. And, you know, they've done, I think, a really good job of introducing these exclusive experiences as they've uh layered out the tiers more interesting i mean you know it was I've, i did find it interesting that um you know we asked america express uh recently when it did its q2 earnings was you know taught about how its uh co-brand credit cards are actually performing better uh, than its other cards so um obviously it's all relative uh, to where we've come from but um obviously some signs of um you know 
optimism um, from a certainly from a, a credit card uh, perspective. Um, all right, so I, last question for you, total hypothetical. I was really interested to see what you guys uh, say to this one. So, um, so just for, imagine you win two hundred thousand miles, right? All points. 200,000 miles or points, uh, take the Monopoly example, you won it in a beauty contest, uh, but they expire at the end of 2020, so you've got to use them. What would you do with them? Like for me, it's definitely, yeah, I'm definitely with the you know majority of consumers in both Canada and the US, and I'm not comfortable with uh, traveling or even staying at a hotel right now. So, so, so it's a lifetime <laughs> subscription to some magazine. No, no, so I, I you know, I would actually love, uh, I, if the option is available, I would redeem for things that I'm currently doing now. So, you know, if it's for yes. gas or if it's for groceries, that's how I would spend the points. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll dip a little into the actual, we had a big family trip planned um, to go visit my folks in Ireland uh, this summer that was canceled. So I would probably wait until December and book that again for for the summer using that. Excellent. Nicole? Any thoughts? Um, I guess in my mind, if I'm winning something for free, I want to go, you know, all out. So a few years ago, speaking of Ireland, actually, um, a friend told me about this train. It's called the Belmont Grand Hiberian train. And it's basically like a four seasons and it takes you through the Irish countryside. So in my mind, I'm going to use all my points. I'm going to go Lux. I'm going to just make it worth it. And go all out <laughs> you go now you go now um actually that's what i was thinking but i do like mike's idea of waiting and booking for next year it's funny but two people two people said ireland there you go and uh <laughs> i yeah i would i was gonna say i'd book my i'd book a flight but for the future you know to get and probably to go and see my family in the in the in the uk but uh you know uh, it was interesting i was just to kind of gauge your level of comfort with where you all are with travel because it's just you know it's interesting times things are changing obviously things are changing on a uh, a daily basis um, and we'll be tracking those changes um, here at Minta. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Carol. Uh, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to rate and review us. We will catch you on the next episode of Little Conversation. If you want to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, head over to Mintel.com and follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts. Thank you.